And you're very welcome to the RT Rugby Podcast after Ireland fall to France at the Aviva. Two defeats now from two games played in the Six Nations and second from bottom in the table. Delighted to say we have Donald Lenehan, Bernard Jackman and Wes Liddy here to talk us through. Gents, you're welcome as always. Look, um, I suppose, Donald, if I was to extract the main points from um, the game against France, it was Ireland, you know, fought for large parts of the game that probably did very well to get within two points of France in the end but ultimately the same problems with attack some leaking problems in defence and despite an improved line out I don't know how many positives there were to take from the performance am I being overly critical again uh, I don't think so no you haven't got into your stride yet Hugh we're only in the first minute of this we'll give you a chance to warm up uh, look when you look at the scoreboard Ireland defeated by two points uh, you know, the game is in the raid and they have an opportunity to win the game, be it from a penalty or a drop goal, which when you look at the game in isolation, um, you say absolutely brilliant. Um, but look, the reality is, I think we were haunted to be in that position. Um, there was a, a moment in the game, particularly from the, the, the third quarter when France looked as if they could really pull away. I mean, had they scored that try a minute into the second half, really... Uh, Dupont shows that he's uh, he's human after all. I mean, he had three French players lining up in the most gaping hole a metre from the Irish line and uh, he picks Willemse, who's about six foot ten, and he hits him on top of the head. Uh, had they scored at that stage, I think uh, it could have been, uh, got really ugly. Uh, on the flip side of that, um, Ronan Keller's try really was a freak score. I mean, came out of absolutely nothing. Uh, but look, look, you've got to acknowledge all the attributes that we are there with each and every Irish team, like that resilience, that uh, uh, the, like when you look at the amount of players that were missing, I reckon probably missing a, a minimum of seven, if not eight, from what would be your first choice starting side. So in the context of that, huge amount of positives. But again, I think something that, that virtual know from his playing days, sometimes in the build-up to a game, when every day, it gets worse. So you find out on Tuesday, Jane is gone. You know Peter Romani is gone. You get to Wednesday and there is a, a strong possibility Johnny Sexton won't be playing. Then you go for the captain's run or sorry, you go on the run on the Friday and Conor Murray tweaks his hamstring. So you go into the team room, you come out afterwards and the rumour starts circulating, oh geez, Conor Murray is now gone. That forms a resilience and an understanding this, this kind of a fear factor develops that if we're not absolutely filleted here. So I'm not surprised at the response in terms of the performance, but I think the point you're alluding to is the same issues both in defence and attack that have been there for some time now, like where we're still, they haven't been resolved to any great degree. And that is the worry. And Bernard, you know, it says a huge amount about this Ireland squad that <clears throat> even with a very stale predictable attack that you know has had problems for the last few months that we've seen and with problems in defense that you highlighted last night on against the head that they were able to get within two points and you know i think it speaks volumes for the players attitude there's no issue with that with their with their you know will to win and, and eke everything out of what they they have within themselves to to win a match there's no issue with that and that has never been under question it's the other facets of the game that still remain below par and I say to myself, God, imagine if we did have a more varied attack. Imagine if we did make opposition defences think a little bit more about what they're doing. What we would be capable of if we fixed those areas. Yeah, and that's the that's the, the challenge. And that's why it's frustrating. And my fear is that 
the players, I don't think the players have lost confidence yet because, you know, they could easily, I suppose, understand what happened in Wales, red cards, you know, being in the game at the death. Um, and against France, you know, they'll say, well, look, at, you know, we were we were one penalty kick away from, from winning it. But I, I think what will happen is self-belief will start to erode and, and confidence levels will, 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 will drop. And, you know, if we start to drop off in our efforts, um, suddenly the margin of defeat will be, you know, will be much greater. And in fairness to Farrell, you have to say he hasn't lost the group. The group are playing for the jersey, they're playing for him. Um, there's, there's huge effort in as pundits I suppose what we have to ask is is around the actual content and um, you know like I know unstructured attack is, is really sexy at the moment but I was looking at some stats last night I think 79% of scores in the first two rounds have come from structured attack right um, and if you analyse our structured attack um, it's very difficult to see what the plan is um, you know where where they're actually spotting weaknesses in the French um, defence or our Welsh defence the week before and going after and attacking those. And if you don't get over the gain line in, in the two phases, it's given we're not the most powerful team in the world. Um, you know, we don't, and also we probably don't have players of the X factor of Jali Bear or, or the fit footwork of Doulan or, or Villiers. So we have to really get on the front foot from, from set piece. And as I said, you know, I, I don't see any real. Plan. And even really good players like Gary Ringrose are starting to look average. And that's 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 shocking because Gary Ringrose is a class act. Gary Ringrose should be being talked about as being a, a 13 for the uh for a British and Irish line selection for a tour that probably won't go ahead. But you know, at the moment I don't see him being in there because the way he's playing, it, it looks like he has no playmaking ability. You know, and that's and that and that's a player, as I said, who I think is world class. So that's that's the challenge that the coaches are going to have to find a solution to. And and again, to go back to that first Welsh or French try, I mean, there's no doubt that they analyse that Ireland are soft on the inside um, defence. And and it's brilliant by Marchand, etc. But like he knows Yanni Bear is going to probably link back inside there and Dupont follows up. Like And they sent two decoy runners to actually soften up that. So there's a training ground move that gave France five points um, at a time when, for the first twenty minutes, Ireland were completely dominant, and like that's where we're not. If you go through the statistics yesterday about Ireland's of the last two rounds, right? Ireland have fifty-four carries per offload. 54 carries per offload, the most of any team. France, by contrast, have nine. Wales, who don't play particularly exciting, will be the moment to have 19. Italy, 20. And so, like, there is a serious problem with what we're doing in attack. And today, I see a headline on one of the rugby um, websites saying Andy Farrell asked for more from the Irish backline. But what does that mean? He wants more. More, more carries without offloads. Um... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's 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 a very familiar narrative at this point, I suppose. In terms of, there seems to be a lot of negativity in the kind of uh, appraisal of games afterwards. But at the same time, it's not like we're being beaten out the gate, despite how how poorly we seem to be playing in in some facets. And and that's what's so frustrating about it. Like as Donald said, we lost by two points in a game where the bookies had us down to lose by four. We lost by two with five or six of arguably our more influential players missing. Now, equally, France had just as many fellas missing as we did, which hasn't really been referenced if you look through, yeah. you know, Bakatawa, Raka, Thomas Ramos, all and these guys. Into Mac. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I suppose the frustrating thing is that the things that are that are going badly are, are so obvious to everyone and should appear so addressable. Um, and as Donald said last week, which kind of been kind of becoming more and more apparent, like there's just a complete inability to fix anything on the hoof. It seems. I mean, I text Birch last night asking him. Can he remember, uh, and I text Eddie O'Sullivan at the same time, asking them both, can they remember the last time an out half dropped back into a pocket to kick a Gary Owen? Eddie O'Sullivan told me he remembers Johnny Pierce doing it for Shannon in the Munster Senior Golf <laughs> 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 but, uh, that's, uh Like when Billy Burns did that in dead centre of the pitch on Sunday, I was kind of going, like, what? Like... Breeze Duda was the man of the match and was punishing us constantly with his returns. And we just persisted kicking. Like, you look at the Scottish try against Wales where he dinked it over the top at the weekend. And, like, in the third minute, Jemison Gibson Park had a, a quick ball at the base of a rock just outside the 22. Gary on again. Like, if your goal is to kick testables up the wing all day, like, why would you pick Keith Earls on the wing to chase him? Like, I... You know, obviously you're going to do it sometimes, but it doesn't seem like you're picking a player that suits your preferred strategy or mm. you're playing to the strengths of the player you've picked when you pursue that. So there's kind of a, there seems to be a lack of logic that, that permeates both selection and approach. And it's it's kind of been repeated over and over. And I, I think that's what's most frustrating. And again, we, we saw that last night, Donald, on uh, against the head. The amount of times that Ireland just kicked the ball away and, and, and kicked the ball away to a French team who are well able to defend high balls and are actually very, very good at it. So it's not that the execution itself isn't great. Some of the execution wasn't great, but it's the idea behind it that just baffles me and baffles a lot of people. Because we're saying, why are we doing something that plays to the strengths of the opposition. Yeah, well, the thing that, that sort of worries me is that uh, surely, you know, you spend so much time in camp these days, you prepare very specifically for the opposition that you're playing against. Uh, again, I hate happening back to, to Joe Schmidt's time, but you often heard um, Irish players talking about in the two to three weeks they build up to a, a, a series of international games. They might have a period of work, maybe two or three weeks, before a specific game, maybe against down the line, where they'd work on a certain element that they were going to introduce for that game. Then they'd revert on the week before the next match, which could be against Wales, let's say, for the specific nuances that they wanted to show against Wales. As far as I can see, we just unveil the same thing against every opposition, regardless of their perceived strengths or weaknesses. And it was only last night or yesterday when we were looking at... Um, uh, some of the, the the analysis stuff that was done prior to against the head and Eddie had done a piece on um, uh, Ireland's kicking game. Mm. And when you looked at it, it, it struck me, looking at it, we never competed in the air. Say for nine out of every 10 uh, kicks, and they were, you know, as was pointed out, they weren't bad kicks, mm. but we were leaving Dulan or Penault, even um, um, the other winger, um, who's a very small guy, they were dominant in the air. Like, surely one of the things is you get up, you compete in the air, you get a hand on the ball, so at least you can tap it back to the uh, support runners coming through. And also, um, you know, when you put up those couple of bombs early on and you see not only is the guy you're kicking to really 
be competent in the air, but also, and we've seen England do this, Wales, you know, where they put this kind of a protective trail runner in the way, so that impacts on your ability to compete for that ball. But yet we keep, like, to repeat the same madness all the time, you get what you deserve. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. I mean, Dulan must have touched the ball more times in the opening 20 minutes of that game than he would in a whole Six Nations Championship playing against anyone else. And to, to illustrate, and to highlight your point further, you know, I remember two or three times that Villiers and Dulan under a high ball didn't even have to jump for the ball, Donald, because they were so sure it wasn't going to be point. contested. Um, yeah. So I mean, when you have possession, at least then you're in the strong position on the ground. Uh, chances are, it is way more chance that some of the, you know, the Irish players coming in, they're going to go off their feet at that particular breakdown or, um, you know, you're, you're, you're conceding possession. There's a, a chance that you're going to concede a penalty. Uh, they can slow things down, re, realign in the back line. They can look up and see exactly what they want to do. And again, in that sequence of analysis, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the variance in the French kicking from nine, from ten, uh, was just and from fullback was brilliant. I mean, they found the grass. There were grubber kicks. There were uh, spiral kicks. They're just a variety of their kicking had Ireland under pressure all the time. I mean, we played into their hands. We haven't learned from this. And at some stage, you've got to move on and just recognise. Look, that strategy isn't working. Birch, um, I, I know that we were. Certainly Andy Farrell, when, um, when he took over the job and, and, and selected his coaching ticket, promised us that we would bring a, there would be a new attacking dimension to Ireland's play. And the man charged with that is my cat. He is the attack coach. Um, and, and the criticism, you know, if we're saying on the one hand that the players are still playing for Andy Farrell and they still believe in Andy Farrell and what he's trying to do, fine, even if we can't see it. Is, is Andy Farrell being let down by his attack coach? Yeah, look at uh, just to go back to the to the craziness of the kicking strategy. So I, you might remember there was a scrum on the right hand side. I think it was our first scrum in attack position. We hit Earlsy up. Earlsy didn't have any intention to, to pass. He was just setting a target. He ran into Jolly Bear, and so it was obviously a pre-planned. We played one more phase with Ty Byrne came off nine, and uh, we put up a box kick from the middle of the field. So this was obviously set up to try and target Doolan. And like, you know, if you're coaching um, a school's team and, you, and this is your plan, you'll do up a little PowerPoint and you'll say, OK, you know, the first phase is Erzy carrying. Who's going to clean that rook? Then Ty Byrne, who's going to clean that rook? And if your plan is on a third phase to kick it up to Doolan, you'll also say who's going to actually contest in the air um, and who's going to counter rook if, if Doolan catches it. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look back on it, Andrew Porter was under the ball. Like our, our tight head prop was actually under the ball and he didn't know what to do. And Doolan just caught us. Um, just kind of without even having to take a jump or whatever. So there's an example of, and look at potentially there was a plan, it's just everyone forgot their jobs, whatever. But it's just an example of things we need to tighten up on because you won't beat France, you won't beat England, you won't beat Scotland, just making it up as you go along. Um, going back to your attack, uh, look at the reality is we're not doing anything that's vastly different than the lads play in Munster, Ulster, Connacht, or, or Leinster. Everybody plays some form of a, a tree tree. A one three three one shape or a one three two two etc. Like there, it, it, there's slight differences, but it's not um, anything that the lads haven't seen before. So yeah, we have to say it hasn't bedded in at all. Um, well, you know what I mean. And um, we're making a huge, um, putting a huge amount of effort in for for very little punch. And you know, I would say the try against Keller, you could never plan that. That's a that's a, a freak moment. And to try to ring or to 
Henshaw scored last week yeah. is making as well. He just ducks back in underneath. Like, there's no real plan there. It's, so, it's instinctive, um, right? Instinctive rugby. Instinctive, yeah. And in fairness, like they will, they, they, like likes of Ringrose and Henshaw will, 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 will cut back against the grain mm-hmm. and they're and they're quick and powerful and they will make some line breaks every now and again. But it's not really, you know, off the training ground. So. There is question marks around it. And the last thing I'll say on, on, on this is that you can generally say see a well-coached team by how comfortable their 10 looks. And Billy Burns looks like he's not an international quality player playing for Ireland. But having said that, playing for Ulster, he looks very comfortable and is far better accomplished. So I know it's harder because, you know, less time in camp and maybe he wasn't first choice to get the reps. But the reality is, and Ross Byrne looked better, you know, uh, coming off the bench. But Ross Byrne has looked poor for Ireland. Uh, Billy Burns looked poor for Ireland. Johnny Sexton look, has been has been good, um, but Johnny's probably strong enough character and experience enough to, to set the team up how he wants. Um, but outside of Johnny, you'd have to say that the other tens look worse than they than they are. And I'd have to say probably not. That's not uh, that's to do with actually not having a a really fluid attacking framework that they can just go in and implement. And like, to be fair to Andy Farrell, Wes, you know, we knew this coming in here, the RFE knew this coming in here, his his, his, his expertise on, on the coaching um, experience is, has been in defence for the Lions with England, under Joe Schmidt with Ireland as well. Defence is his, his remit. And, and also, if, if you want to give a credit again, in terms of the overall picture there, he is there to be the head coach. And he has imparted the attack part of his... Um, remit to Mike Cat. And, and ultimately, you have to ask the question, is Mike Cat delivering for the job that he's been given? And on the basis of the performance that we see, not just in the last two games, but during the Autumn Nations Cup and again the last year's Six Nations, the answer is that Mike Cat is not delivering. So do we need to make a change there? Is that going to solve problems, do you think? I mean, he made a change for the forwards back. Look at up. The impact that yeah, Paul Connell's had yeah. in a very space of time. Yeah, no, huge. that's true about... Paul, like it appears, the lineout has functioned a lot better the last two games. I don't know. People do say attack is the longest to tweak to to improve, um, but to be honest, you could probably label the same as the defence at the minute. Like, I mean, the tries we've conceded the last two weeks have been, you know, it was highlighted again last night, just in terms of like getting the wrong bodies in the wrong position. Like, like I mean, the team has had just as little time as ours. Yet, right. look at the impact they've made. Um, yeah. Now, you could argue that possibly, on average, the ceiling in terms of talent to these French players is higher than ours. don't think anyone would really dispute that. But, like, it wasn't just talent that won it for him. Um, you know, as the lads mentioned there, their kicking strategy was better thought out. It was better implemented. Their defence was better organised. And, of course, their attacking skills were on a different level. So, Which, again, makes the mind kind of boggle. We only lost by two points. But... Like in one way, you go 2020 was the first season, it was disrupted with COVID, they missed out on summer tours. Then, you know, like there is legitimate excuses that they are still very new in the gig and they're not taking wallopins, they're they're losing narrowly, and there's plenty of scope for improvement. But equally, it's as close to the next. Well, when exactly will this improvement happen? And I suppose, I think from this point on, whether it's in terms of personnel or style, they need to start taking tangible things from games rather than kind of abstract notions of we tried very hard, we're two points off, we were unlucky with someone sent off, et cetera, et cetera. 
So, for example, to go back to your favourite, Hugh, where to give you who've been ahead of the curve every week for the last number of weeks. Which, oh, sure. uh, That's just me, Wes. Yeah. Is, is that the only reason um, you're now showing your face to the public as opposed to... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, what, what does it say? A stop clock is right twice no, look, at least in one day. Johnny so can't, like, well, Johnny's yeah. struggling to finish games or to put consecutive games together. That's not a, my opinion. That's a matter of fact. You can look at the stats. In an ideal world, Joey Carberry gets back fit and gets back to the form he's capable of and he's pushing Johnny all the way. We, we can't rely on that with his injury profile. So absolutely, at a minimum, you need a third out half of that standard. For me, there's enough evidence at this point that either of the two guys in the squad aren't that guy in a long-term sense. Mm. So, do you do you now skip forward to a, a Harry Byrne or an even bolder shout like a Crowley or something like that? And I know you said that you can't play them when they're not playing for their province. But at this point, you're not picking them for what they are. You're picking them for what they potentially, with the right exposure, in two yeah. years' time. So at least if you do that, there's something tangible to point at where you say, okay, well, we've addressed this problem area for the team or attempted to address it, and perhaps it'll yield dividends. Okay, total. Okay, this is the point I want to put to you. And I I was listening to an interview with Andy Dunn um, recently, and he made this point, which I thought was very good. Is the priority for the IRFU and finishes high up the table, which we know financially brings an awful lot of money in, and every match that they win brings an awful lot of money to the to the coppers in the RFU, which at the moment is more important than ever. Or is the priority to develop squads in four-year cycles for the next World Cup? If it's the World Cup that they want to go and target, then clearly there's problems here. But if their priority actually is Donald, and I understand if it might be this, financially we want to be secure. Or we want to keep, to keep the preventing. And that the best way to do that is the money that comes with the Six Nations every year. Then so be it. But come out and say that so we all have an understanding. We can say, right, forget the World Cup. It's the Six Nations that count every year. Well, that is their strategy. I mean, it's the only thing. They've never come out and boldly stated that that is their strategy. I think okay. to be fair to a head coach, that needs to be put in the public domain. Right now, the problem is, like David New- Fora is director of rugby, so it's the one who formulates the strategy from the top in line with, say, a, a number of people within the RFU who would be prioritising the financial element of finishing as high up in the Six Nations as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think given that we have now found ourselves in a position where we've lost the opening two games, we have to take a longer-term view. We have to support Farrell and... Uh, like you look at it, look at France. I think France, what they are doing is absolutely brilliant. From the point of view, since the last World Cup, um, which is now, say, only 15 months ago, this new management team only came in in January of 2020. So they only had a couple of weeks in the lead into last season, Six Nations. But right from the outset, and everything you read about them is about the project, the project started in Nice when they brought in all these young fellas and they outlined A, what was required of them and B, that their long-term goal was to build a team capable of winning the World Cup for France in 2023. Mm. By doing that, you insulate the players because you're going to say there's going to be bad days on the way. But, you know, this, we, this is a means to an end. Now, I think for the likes of Gap, 
Altia and Ibanez, they couldn't believe they were so sex, so successful in the first year of the plan. They're now two out of two, two away games, remember, in this championship. England have facilitated them by losing against Scotland. So they're now in a brilliant position to actually, and I would say their goal this year is to win the championship, not a grand slam. They'd be quite happy to win it by, say, points differential in the end. But my point is they have a short-term plan, which is developing young younger players, nine players, 18 and 19 World Cup under 20 squads have now been capped, including three props. So don't tell me that, you know, when we talk about youth, that's yeah. fine if you're talking about wingers, centres, old halves even. They have props, three props, who've been capped at Six Nations level. So there is a plan there. Um, Ireland, everything that we're doing seems to be short-termism. Um, and I think that's unfair on a coach, because if he's handicapped in selection, by um, a, a desire to get fourth place or third place in the Six Nations as opposed to second, then I think that hampers us in the long run. Uh, and we're falling in between two stools. So that goes back to my point uh, and, and Wes slagging me. Obviously, you wanted Harry Byrne thrown in against France to start at 10 last week. That w- wouldn't be right. Not fair for the young fella. He's not ready for that yet. But given that we also those opening two games, I've certainly come around to the point of view that even if you bring and you start Johnny Sexton against France, he now has a mentorship role with Harry Byrne. I'd put Harry Byrne now on the bench against Italy in Rome in two weeks' time. Give him 20, 25 minutes at that level. I mean, we're going to beat Italy. Um, so, you know, expose the guy, bring him into camp and, and let him be part of that. Remember, sir. You know, Sexton was in there behind Antipomi and Ronan O'Gara at international level when he was learning the ropes. O'Gara, 20 years ago, had to make his mistakes at AIL and provincial level with Munster. But when we finally threw him in against Scotland on that famous day, you had a comfort blanket with David Humphreys on the bench. I remember that day, like we, we ended up winning 44-22, but we were struggling in the early part to the second half and I I've taken it but I remember turning around to Gatlin and uh, Ronan was going through a difficult patch and saying Gat we have to make a change at 10 mm-hmm. now I can't remember of what minute in the second half David Humphreys came on but Humphreys was able to finish out that game right the following game was against Italy so the easy decision having won was for us to start Raj again because it was Italy so you got to feel your way through these selections but I do feel the time is now right for Harry Byrne to be introduced. Uh, if Lancaster for me felt he was good enough to start in Heineken Cup against uh, Northampton a couple of months ago, unfortunately cried off injured in the warm well then I think his time has come and we've got to make sh- we've got to make long term decisions now in those key areas. And, 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 and Birch, you know, Andy Farrell has come out this morning and said, look he was asked, are we going to see changes? Are we going to see so he brought in, he said, we want to win the game. So we're, we're here to win the game. That's all I care yeah, about. Yeah, and the, the squad, he's, so he's released guys back to get game time. Um, uh, you know, Bundy Aki, Ulton Land, Dave Heffernan, Ryan Baird, etc. are gone back. Ross Byrne has gone back. So it just depends on what they're going to do on Thursday, Friday. So if they're going to do a lot of stuff that's specific for, for Italy on Thursday, Friday, then the, the odds are that, you know, there'll be no very few changes. And Johnny and Connor... Um, potentially would start against against Italy and and um I think that would be an opportunity lost. I agree with Donald. I think you know we, 
We should be able to beat Italy. Um, I would say that Italy's attack is actually better now than it was. But anyway, um, it's uh, it's 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 actually starting to show some uh, some progress. But we, we we will beat Italy. But I think Faz is very concerned. I, I think he'll be very focused on winning that game comfortably, building confidence for obviously a trip to to, to Scotland. But I think an opportunity lost. And look at we haven't lost the first two games of a championship for what ten years. Um, and potentially now is the time where Nusa Four needs to, you know, look after Faz to a certain extent and say, look, at, we are going to use these last three games to to increase our depth. And you know, like uh, Craig Casey was on the bench against uh, against. Well, yeah, this is like this is drives me. <clears throat> this drove me absolutely nuts. Right? Why would you put Craig Casey on the bench if you're not going to use him? And and Bern- like I, I go one step further. Substitute was brought on that game. Most of whom got at yeah. least twenty minutes. And your man's left languishing there, twenty-one years of age. His parents all proud of him. Can't wait to see him. That says to me that Andy Farrell has no confidence in him. He's just there as a token guy to give him, a, you know, for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, you'd wonder if he had Kieran Marmion or, or or John Cooney or Caelan Blade on the bench, would he have put him on? I think he would have. I, I, I don't. I, some of Farrell's substitutions kind of surprised me a little bit. So the previous week in 14 men, you know, he gave Gibson Park eight minutes and this week he gives him 82 minutes, you know, um, and, you know, the game, like we were kind of chasing the game a little bit. Um, I know we started to get back into it, but I thought, I thought he could have given Casey a run and, and now Casey mightn't be involved against Italy and, and might miss his, miss his opportunity. So it's just not really joined up a lot of the, the, the thinking around it. And uh, yeah, like as, as, and it's that, that substitutions, you know, I mentioned, you know, we, we put six and a 12 against against Wales, which it didn't make, make sense. But even go back to the technical, tactical stuff, you know, you know, Conway's probably one of the best players in the air. If we're going to go down that, that route, would you look to start him? Like, it doesn't seem to be that yeah. we pick courses for courses. We align our, our tactics to the selection. It's just basically make it up as you go along. And you're right about yeah, the Italian attack. Just, just, yeah. Sorry, Hugh, just on that. There's a part... To me, I can actually understand the Craig Case one in that when you're chasing the game. Um, and, you know, to be fair, I thought Gibson Park had a decent game. Um, did you? But, uh, yeah, I did. I did, I did. yeah. Uh, I think he, no, he kicked too much. But you see, he was doing things that he doesn't do with Leinster. Yeah. The same with James Lowe. I made the point in my piece on Monday morning. James Lowe has kicked the ball more times in two weeks than he did in the three years it took him to qualify on residency. But Leinster, I mean, <laughs> he's a totally different player in an Irish jersey than he is in a Leinster jersey. We got a glimpse of him. If you remember his first cap against Wales in that Nations Cup, he was electric. He was everywhere. He was coming off his wing. He was supporting fellas on the inside shoulders, coming up the middle of the field. His work rate, all that is gone. He's covering the backfield. No, he's he's a fantastic left leg. He's, you know, his kicking game has been brilliant. But really, is that what you're picking him? But sorry, I, I and again, look, I'm not. I do understand it's different when you're pulling the strings on the sideline. And I go back again to that 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 Scotland game. Peter Stringer was on the bench against England in the week prior to his first game against Scotland when we we eventually brought in all those young fellas. Uh, no, it was slightly different in that England were way stronger than, than we were at the time. They were hammering. It was 50 points to 20. And we just felt that wasn't the arena to throw Stringer into. We did feel that we'd start him against Scotland the following week. Um, and, and he did. And, you know, he did what he was selected for. Uh, I, I do feel like 
I would keep Craig Casey, for example, on the bench against Italy. And I wouldn't have any inhibitions about throwing him in in the last 20 minutes in that game. It's because, as I say, at some, you've got to make a decision with the future in mind. Um, so, look, to a degree, I could understand it. Um, but, you know, when you're sitting on a bench these days, eight fellas start there and seven of them are gone and you're sitting there. And as you say, oh, you're every, everything about you, that old thing, they all you age. want. All you want is that first cut. It is difficult. I mean, but it'll be way more difficult if he finds with Conor Murray back that, you know, Gibson Park. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you sacrifice him from, like, you obviously disagree with me, but I thought he reasonably good. Well, game. I thought his uh, kicking game was... you throw was... him out of the match. Yeah, but I... that's obviously, but he's playing to instruction with that. Yeah, yeah but sorry, I, don't, I actually don't think he had a bad game but, uh, at all, but I don't think his skill set or Billy Byrne's skill set are set up to play that high kicking game that we played. So effectively, that's what I'm saying. And like, and also, no, agree like, with that. But I'm saying France. to scapegoat him. Yeah. Um, oh no, no, absolutely not. No, no. And, uh, and I think is, isn't proof, picking I'm, Peter O'Mahony at seven the same thing again, though, Bart? Another example of the selection and the strategy not aligning, and then Peter cries off injured, yeah. and you 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 push him back to six, and the whole benefit of having a bigger back row is gone. It's like. It's like there's no logic in the selection sometimes. Well, look, we went into we went into a match against against France. We were underdogs, but a proven goal kicker. Someone who's a goal kick for his for his yeah. club. You know, I mean, like you know, uh, we went in without the two halfbacks who don't play together. Like, there's a lot of things you could have easily went Gibson Park, Ross Byrne, right, and at least you have a goal kicker, and you have a, a ten who's probably more suited to a kicking game. For me, Billy Burns, while he's got a lovely array of attacking kicks. Um, his 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 strength is playing instinctively on the line, high tempo. Nine and ten who thrive in 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 kind of playing ball in hand, high tempo. And we said to them, you know, the game plan is kick, 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 kick. Well, that's exactly or, what Wes is talking about. There, and the point is, like, if Cooney, surely to God, if you're going to employ that game plan and ask Gibson Park to kick the ball as much as he did, the best kicking scrum half is up in Ulster, not near the squad. Makes no yeah. sense to me. Yeah, they're, 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 that's just another example of just things that maybe makes. And look, the coaches know more about it than we do, but it's just things that, as pundits, yeah. we have to say that it's questionable. Um, there's there's, there's obviously a reason, sorry, there's obviously yeah. a reason why they're not picking Johnny Cooney. In terms of there's something whether you know people talk about his defence or whatever, so that that's almost um, a, a kind of they've decided for whatever reason not to include him. But you look from the forty first minute, the, the, the game, yeah, called well, into squad. well, for injury cover, yeah, I mean, which you know, I, I, yeah. But if you look, sorry, from the forty first minute onwards, when um, Billy Burns went off. Keith Earls was the only non-Leinster back there. So you'd six of a Leinster back line in the seven, but they played a completely different type of game than the way Leinster would go about it. And obviously, look, you're, you're, you're looking at a whole systems change in the middle of a game. But you did, have, like you Gibson Park, Rossburn, uh, Robbie Henshaw, uh, Ringrose, uh, James Lowe and Hugo Keenan, like comfortable playing with each other. But... Uh, obviously, knowing each other inside out, but uh, you know, they, still there was no appreciable change in the way that we played. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at uh, James Lowe and, and the point you mentioned there, uh, Donald, about the way he 
he's playing now versus what and how good he is with Leinster. And Wes, his tackle technique is almost as good as mine. I mean, you know, I don't know whether this has just been because Leinster have been so dominant week in, week out in the Pro 14 or even most of the time in Europe until they come up against the Casares that we don't see um, James Lowe's defensive flaws. But, oh my God, it was jaw-dropping stuff. Two tries against Wales, one where he made a completely wrong read, the other where he missed the tackle. And then against France at the weekend as well, he just completely fell off a tackle. And I just, how have we not seen this I before? Think there, I think we knew there was a couple of doubts that might be exposed defensively. Not to that extent, though. Level, like, but, and also, he's very good at leading with his elbow on that near try that, that no one mentioned in the middle of the video review as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to go back to something Donald said a minute ago, like where he said that this plan for France, this project started in Nice when all these younger players were brought in to first work with the management. I would argue this project for France started long before that when the nucleus of these two under-20 World Cup winning teams were being brought together and I would argue I don't know this but there seems to be very clear parallels between what France are attempting to do now in rugby with the goal of winning a home World Cup as to what the French soccer team did building towards the 1998 World Cup where you know they had they established Claire Fontaine as their training base in soccer Reed Marcusi in rugby for that the team started to be composed of guys from, let's call them non-traditional backgrounds in soccer. That was Henri and Zidane and kind of fellas reflective of these, these waves of immigrants that have come into France. You're seeing a lot of that rugby now too. The coaching staff is, is very much a, a product of a, a long-term succession plan. And again, it, I'd imagine Laporte has played a, a significant part in all of this. And, and there's an element of speculation here, but there is a joined-up thinking that's very, very clear to see permeate just the playing and coaching staff, but the entire organisation and the infrastructure around it. Now, this in the country that are the most chaotic <laughs> thinkers in world rugby by a mile, traditionally. In Ireland, we have four teams and a whole structure where they're all feeding into one team and where, let's be honest, one person has a huge amount of control over what happens. And yet we can't get aligned on this same basis at all. And you know, it's a bit coincidental, but you're not going to be aligned and organized and logical in what you're doing with your first team if that logic and organization isn't prevalent right throughout the organ the, the wider organization. So, I mean, like I think the the IRFU get a lot of credit over the years, like and rightly so, and they've steered the ship very well at times. But like they're very they're steady sensible decision makers and at times maybe there's a need for a, just one slightly bolder strategist it's a nice handy question nice handy question for you there Mannix uh, take it away yeah no I, I, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right um, no it is a strategy that's been going on for a while but it's like every strategy there's a huge amount of luck involved in it like to be fair you're, you're, you're rightly praising the French for the way they've got a about this, but I would argue, what were they previous 11 years? They made a complete and utter bollocks of their organisation with their international team. The mm. players have always been there in France, but they brought in coaches like Guino Vez and Brunel, who were kind of beyond their sell-by date, you know, way past their, their, their most instinctive and best as coaches. So France wasted generations of great players, in my view. So, um, yes, I think uh, Laporte, who, let's be fair, was the last great French coach. They won several Grand Slams under him. 
Um, they had uh, comparatively successful World Cups under him. Um, but I think the strategy started with him, but they did waste a decade. But they also got lucky, remember, in that they wanted to bring in a head coach to either Gatland or Joe Schmidt, where their original targets to be the head coach of this particular group until the French amateur and professional clubs voted that they didn't want a foreign head coach. No, Galtier was, I think, hugely, um, you know, man management, question marks over him as a tactical coach and thinker recognised as one of the best in France. But they got the perfect combination, a former captain in Raphael Ibanez, somebody who went away, won Heineken Cups with Wasps. So he has that outside experience. He was also a head coach in Bordeaux. Then I would imagine under uh, uh, Ibanez had a major input to the fact that um, for bringing in Sean Edwards. So they ended up, up more by accident than design in getting the coaching group that they wanted. But look, every plan, there's an element of, of luck in it. But, but look, I, I agree with you 100%. There are times when the RFU have to review and rethink their strategy. We touched on one of them last week in terms of younger players going abroad to get more game time with a view to bringing them back. The policy of only picking Irish players had worked brilliantly for a long time. But now we're producing too many players for our system. So therefore, you have to tweak your strategy. Every plan needs to be reviewed, particularly when it's at its most successful. Because what happens is it gets stale, things move on. And I think we have arrived at that point in time, both in terms of the view that we expressed last week with the younger players, but also now in terms of backing the coach to maybe expose more younger players to uh, Six Nations action. Yeah, and we're we're at the, we're at a critical stage, Bernard. Here, you know, because we're 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 not hitting any of the marks, like the marks of success in the Six Nations versus long term planning for a World Cup. We're not we're falling between two stools here. It's 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 neither one thing or the other. If Andy Farrell is the man, and he's going to be backed, there are a few. And look, there there, there are some signs that he he should be the guy, for, and maybe tweak the coaching team around that. One of which he's done already with big results. Then, you know, maybe the RFU need to just give him all the help that he needs. And if that help means making a couple of hard decisions within his ranks, then they have to support him. Yeah, and I'm sure they will. I mean, Lucifer would have to, I presume at some stage, he has to go in front of the RFU and answer questions around performance as well. I mean, that's they've given him the power to... In fairness, he's had an open checkbook. I think he's he's been able to do a huge amount. Um, and, you know, obviously the success or lack of success of the World Cup was a hammer blow because, you know, that's every four years we get a, a reality check there, um, which is part of our strategic strategy. The other one, I think, and, and Donald would know better than me, I think we're supposed to win two Six Nations in between World Cups as well or something something like that. So, and to be in top two or three in the world. Um, so, yeah, obviously we're not hitting those markers and... and you know, David and Nusifora will will have to take responsibility for it, rather than maybe just blaming Faz. I think Nusifora put this coaching staff together, um, and you know that was his his responsibility. I think Joe Schmidt covered up a lot of cracks in our system. I think his ability as a coach, um, you know, covered up inefficiencies. And I, and I agree with Don. France did get around for ten years, but fair play to them; they seem to be on the right track now. And and if we don't get our act together. You know, maybe we're going to have four or five years of, of mediocrity, you know, if we're not careful. So it's probably a time to, to take stock and to look at what we can do better in our game. And, and I agree with Donald, the time to do it is when you're on top. We were in 2018. 
we've probably slipped off the off the, the cliff a little bit uh, without being like you know it's, it's not disastrous but we're, we're here to talk about getting Irish rugby the um, yeah, I, I think there is probably elements that, that we need to look at. And, you know, if, if, if Ireland, the coach staff, isn't where it needs to be, and maybe it is, maybe we're going to see big improvements over the next the next uh, three games and, and go into the summer in, in a better place. At the moment, the question, there's questions around our attacking D. Uh, and it sounds, people say, oh, that's the only, that's all the game. It's not. Like our set piece is, is, is actually starting to, to motor. That's the third part of the game. But around our attacking defence, there is question marks that we're going to have to Okay, all right. Um, gentlemen, I never thought I'd be saying this, but I'm very much looking forward to Leinster away to the Dragons in the Pro 14 this weekend. There's a like, little respite from our problems in the Six Nations. We'll be back next week to uh, preview the Italy game. Uh, again, uh, I don't know what team we're going to see, but uh, certainly it's a game that Andy Farrell has said, as of today, uh, we're in this to go and win it. I'm not interested in experimenting. So look, we'll talk about it next week. My thanks to Donald, to Bernard and to Wes for their company. And, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.